The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I feel like that song is so perfect for what I'm sharing with you today. I really think we could just listen to this song for five more times and let it sink in and not, I don't need to share anything because that song is exactly what I want to share with you in my words today. It is my joy, it really is my joy and delight to be here on the West Side campus. I spend a lot of my time at the downtown campus and the church where I grew up is in this neighborhood, 77024, 900 Brogdon, um, the Chinese Baptist Church. And so it almost feels like coming home in a way to be on this campus with you. Would you uh, pause with me and pray? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I know that you have something for each person in here today. Give us all the hearts and minds and souls to receive your word for us this morning. Amen. So as Wayne mentioned earlier, Chris kicked off a series on the Celtic way of evangelism, and he did that through a video. And if you weren't here, or if you have very short-term memory, I have a slide that basically explains the basics of St. Patrick and his way of evangelism. And it's these things. Go to the people, live among them, learn from them, love them, Start with what they know and build on what they have. And if you're interested in learning more about it, we're gonna be doing a teaching series over the next several weeks, but you can also go back to that video that Chris did. And speaking of that video, I got to watch it two weeks um, before uh, today in order to help me prepare for this sermon. And I'm really grateful that I got to watch it by myself um, in, in, in a room because watching the video brought a flood of tears to my soul. And I just sat on the couch and cried for probably 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm guessing that some of you may have one of two questions on your mind at this moment. One, did we watch the same video? And two, are tacos that emotional for Mitzi? So the answer to the first question is, yes, we did watch the same video, and two, tacos are not very emotional for me. But let me step back and give you some context of why this video undid me. So on January 21st of this year, 2019, my husband Jerry and I moved back to Houston from after living seven and a half years in the Middle East. We were in the Kurdish region of Iraq, and I have a map to show you where we were. So the red square represents where our city was. It was called Suleimania, or as the locals say, Sleimani. And yes, it is very close to the Iranian border. And you may think, oh wow, close to the Iranian border, that must be very dangerous. However, with ISIS coming in from Syria, actually being near Iran was the safest place for us to be in Iraq, if you can imagine. I was 
trying to figure out a way to show you the clothing that we wore and look through a whole bunch of pictures so that you can see uh, what the local clothing looks like. And then it dawned on me, maybe I should just bring this amazing, amazing gift that our staff that we worked with gave us at our going away party. And I have my own Vanna White here to show you this incredible, incredible thing. So this is me and Jerry woven into a carpet. <laughs> our staff was tasked with finding a gift that is very unique. And I will tell you, there is nothing like this in all of Iraq or the United States for that matter. But it's us in the Kurdish clothing, American flag, Kurdistan down below. It's super wonderful. I call it ridiculous and sublime at the same time. Um, it's also very soft. And so after the service, if you want to come, we'll have it out and you can, you can touch it. And so Jerry, when we opened it up, he was holding it just like this and he started touching the carpet. He's like, and this is in front of our staff, predominantly men, all from a Muslim background. And he's saying, wow, this carpet is so soft, just like Mitzi. So soft. <laughs> and Jerry's like, well, we were on our way out. You know, that's okay. <laughs> and because it's the 11 and time is not a big constraint, I'm going to share this other hilarious story with you about Jerry. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we were learning the language and trying to learn Kurdish, the dialect of Sarani. And we were at our end of the year kind of Christmas um, banquet. And we'd been there just a few months. And one of the staff said to Jerry in Kurdish, did you like the food? Like, was the food good? And so Jerry's thinking, you know, I am going to extend a branch to these folks, show them that I've learned the language, show them that I'm trying to embrace the culture. And so instead of just answering, you know, quietly to this colleague, he stands up and in a very loud and proud voice, announces to the whole room, again, mostly men, mostly predominantly Muslim background, a few women, and in English says, I'm sexy, to everybody in the room. He, he's saying it in Kurdish, but that's what it means. And he didn't even realize it. I didn't know that either. And it wasn't until he was doing the dishes for our party that our staff member came up to him and said, I just want to let you know that when you were trying to say the food was delicious, you told our whole staff that you are sexy. <laughs> and then I remembered that their response to that, and in Kurdish they were saying, zor, zor, which in English means very, very. <laughs> It was hilarious. It's one of my favorite like language fumbling stories that we have. But back to the video. So why did this video just cause me to break down in tears? Well, as I was watching the video, just the phrase, share your faith, share your faith, kept coming to my mind. And that's what I got to do every single day when I was living in Northern Iraq in Kurdistan. And what does sharing my faith mean? It means sharing my life because my life is my faith. And every day I got to invite people into my life and into my faith. And the Lord started bringing specific people to mind that I got to do that with. And I just miss them so much. 
those friends became so, so, so dear to me. And it just made me start crying. And, and crying, that aching cry that you actually feel your heart is hurting, and that is the grief that was coming out. And, you know, and instead of feeling bad or embarrassed that I was crying, I was, I was remembering the fact that grief is just love that has lost its object. I really loved these people, and I was grieving so much that they weren't in front of me anymore. And so again, I am so excited that I get to share this message with you today, because it represents so much, not just of our last seven and a half years, but so much of my life ever since I was introduced to Jesus Christ. Part of the Celtic way of evangelism um, has this big theme of belonging often coming before belief. Belonging often comes before belief. People feel like they need to be part of something before then they will believe it. I think in some of our tradition, we say, well, you need to believe these certain things and then we will invite you into the community. You meet these standards and then you can be part of us. And St. Patrick and Chrissy, our pastor, and we at Ecclesia, we wanna say no. Everybody is invited. It doesn't matter where you're coming from or what you believe, we want you to belong. And what St. What Patrick, and others, many people have found over the years, is that some people, as they're belonging and part of the community, they all of a sudden realize, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, I think Wayne has this as part of his story, you know, and, and it's so much of who we are at Ecclesia. Come be a part of us. Come and, and you're, you're part of us. There's no inside and outside. We're all in this together. One of the ways that we think about this belonging and evangelism is that evangelism then becomes about not memorizing things about God, but helping to people to belong so that then they will believe. And we do that in one way through soul friendship, becoming friends with people. And in the Gaelic, this is called anamkara. And anam is the word for soul, and kara is the word for friend. And there are lots and lots of definitions of an anamkara, but I really like this really simple one. It's someone who will listen to you, who will guide you, and who will love you. Again, it's someone who will listen to you, who will guide you and love you. And that is the main theme of my message to you today, is I'm inviting you to be the Anamkara for someone in your life. I really like what John O'Donohue has to say about Anamkara. He wrote a book called Anamkara, and he says, love allows understanding to dawn, and understanding is precious. When you are understood, you are at home. Understanding nourishes belonging. When you really feel understood, you feel free to release yourself into the trust and shelter of the other person's soul. And I'm hoping that for you here, that you have had that experience 
of being in the trust of another person's soul, someone who reached out to you as a soul friend, who wanted to point you to Jesus, our liberating king. And speaking of Jesus, you know, I think he embodies the ideal idea of what is soul friendship. As I was reading, as I was preparing for this sermon, I'm asking God, you know, God, what message do you want me to share with your people? And he said, well, let Mitzi, let, talk about Jesus. Talk about his soul friendship. And so I was reading through mostly the book of Mark and a little bit of John. And as I'm reading, I saw all these instances of where Jesus was the Anamkara to so many people. And I saw these places where he was present with people. He was with people. In fact, not only was he with people, he was very, very close. He touched people. He was that close. And I read these phrases, and he touched the man. He put his hand on the blind man's eyes. He took her hand. He lifted him up, really becoming close with people. Another thing that I saw in the scriptures is that Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. I hate being interrupted. You can just ask Jerry how much I hate being interrupted. But Jesus, he allowed himself to be interrupted. There we read in Mark again how he was on the road and he was with a whole bunch of people. And so he had people with him, they're following him and they're heading toward a specific destination. And yet there's a man on the side of the road, his name is Bartimaeus, and he's blind. And he is shouting out for Jesus. And people are actually telling Bartimaeus, quiet, quiet, you know, we have places to go. And yet the scriptures say that Jesus stopped. He stopped and he listened to what Bartimaeus had to say. This is very much part of soul friendship. Are we willing to stop and really listen to what people have to say. Another very short story, we lived in India as well for uh, two and a half years, and we got to meet these folks who started this ministry that is now thousands and thousands of people. They've built hospitals and schools, and this is how they started. This couple, they put an ad in the paper, and they, all it said was, if you would like someone to listen to you, we will listen, come to our house. That's how they started the ministry, and their first day, they had tons and tons of people come. People are looking for those who will listen. The other thing that I saw that Jesus did, and I love this image, and this is from the end of John, after Jesus has, been, has risen from the dead. He's on the beach. He is cooking breakfast. He's got bread, and he's got fish. And he sees his disciples, and he says, why don't you come and join me? Bring the fish that you've caught and join me for this breakfast. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you love to just be invited to have breakfast with Jesus? He was probably the most amazing cook because, you know, he was perfect. And I'm thinking that bread and that fish must have tasted delicious. But Jesus, you know, he, he embodies hospitality, and yet we also got to see him show the act of hospitality to people, inviting them to join him. Another thing that Jesus did with his followers, with people who came, is that he told them stories. And it is my privilege to get to share a story with you this morning, a true story, a story that I got to be part of. And this story, 
took place in Kurdistan, in Iraq where we lived. And this is a soul friendship story. And it's about my friend Sarah. And I met Sarah, actually I met her at her birthday party. We were visiting our friend Peter, and we didn't know that he was hosting a birthday party for Sarah. And so we went to say hello to him, and he's like, oh no, join in the birthday. Again, just come. You don't have to be friends with her. You belong already. And he invited us in. And then he said, actually, I've been wanting you to meet Sarah for a really long time, and now you're getting to meet her. And so we met, we became friends, we started spending time together, we had a lot in common. She's quite an intellectual person, she's got her PhD. And not that I'm an intellectual, but I can appreciate academic rigor and having discussions that are a little bit beyond me so that I can understand. But we became really good friends, and one day we were on a walk in the park near our house, and she said, Mitzi, you are the wisest person I know. I think it must be your Christianity. Isn't that incredible? You know, we hear these verses and we're encouraged to be salt and light and this, this fragrant aroma, and people will be attracted to that. And that's exactly what happened. You know, me just living my life in Jesus, she was attracted to something. And amazingly, she pinpointed, I think it must be your Christianity. So I said, oh, well, would you like to come to church with me? I go to a church every Saturday evening. It was the only church um, in Kurdistan that we could attend, and that's where we went, and she started coming. And you know what's a great thing about the typical church is that people are really, really nice. You know, your niceness and your being friendly to people that you don't know makes a huge difference to people who are coming for the first time. And she definitely experienced that. And she also told me, Mitzi, I really like the music at your church. It fills me with a sense of peace when I listen to it. And then a few weeks later, she said, Mitzi, you know, I, I'm finding that I'm actually singing the songs. I'm not just listening to them, but I'm singing them. And I'm like, what? I mean, she, she does not believe everything that we're saying at church, and yet she's already worshiping. These words of praise are going up, and they're coming out of her mouth. You know, this, she's, she's belonging. She's feeling like she's comfortable. She's finding something that is attractive to her. Um, Another thing that we invited her into was our kids' camp. So we have kids' camp at Ecclesia. At the International Church of Slimani, we also have kids' camp. And they were calling for volunteers to come and, and do stuff with the kids. Or if you wanted to, you could spend your time with the scissors and cutting out all the crafts for the kids to do. I actually really, really like doing tedious things. So I immediately volunteered. And then I asked Sarah, hey, would you like to join me um, in cutting these things for the crafts? And she's a teacher. It was the summer. She said, sure, you know, I'd love to join. And then she said, well, my mom is with me. So her mom was visiting from a neighboring country. And her mom came, too. Her mom speaks no English. She understands no English. And yet we were sitting there cutting the crafts, and the kids were doing their thing in another part of the room. And at the end of the day, her mom said to Sarah, I feel like I can breathe in Jesus here. I feel like I can breathe in Jesus here. I'm like, where, where is that coming from, right? 
Well, you know, Jesus is not an unknown figure to a lot of the world. I mean, people may not believe him or what he did or what he said, but people know who he is. And for them, what they knew of Jesus was that he was kind to women. And that was very, very attractive to them. They're part of a culture where they feel very keenly people not being kind to women. I had my friend Sarah often in my home crying and just so distraught and really just bemoaning the plight of her gender. Mitzi, if I only were a man, if only I were the son, my life would be so much better. And so they see the life of Jesus and how kind he was to women, and that is something that was so attractive to them. There was a time when Sarah was in my house and she was extra overwrought. She probably spent almost the entire time just crying, and I just sat there with her and listened to her cry, and frankly, I started crying with her. Things were going really, really terrible in her life, and I felt and heard the Holy Spirit say, Mitzi, I want you to pray for a miracle for her. And I thought, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that because what if it doesn't happen? But the Holy Spirit was very persistent. He's like, no, Mitzi, pray for a miracle. So I had a specific miracle in mind, but I thought, well, let me just pray for a miracle. And so we did. And then the next week I saw her, she said, Mitzi, the day after we prayed for a miracle, God gave me a miracle. I thought, what? This is incredible. I mean, I was almost not expecting it to happen, but of course it should happen. The Holy Spirit told me to pray for a miracle, and we did, and then he gave her a miracle. And it had to do with the relationship with her father. And this thing that had never happened between her and her father happened the very next day. And she was so excited to tell me about this miracle. Another time, she's at my house, and she's telling me the story about this nightmare that she had. And she said in the nightmare, there was this oppressor, this attacker that was coming to get her. And she was in a corner and she was trapped. There's nowhere to go. And so as she's telling me this story, she said, so I prayed, dear Lord Jesus, help me. And then the attacker went away. And I, afterwards, after expressing my, my shock, said, do you, do you pray to Jesus? I noticed that in your, when you had the nightmare, you prayed, dear Lord Jesus, help me. Is that something that you do? She said, I do. She didn't even realize that for the past, I don't know how long, she actually had been praying to Jesus. It just became this very natural thing that she started to do. And then in her nightmare, she cried out to him and he heard her and took the oppressor away. Just incredible. So fast forward some more time. So this friendship was over about six years, six and a half years. We're at church again. And it's time for the Lord's Supper, for communion. And at our church, we tell people, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to the table. And for a long time, she would not identify as a follower of Jesus. And I'm guessing you know where the story is going. So we typically, Jerry and I will go up and she'll stay seated. But this particular Saturday night, when they said, come forward if you're a follower of Jesus, Jerry got up, then I got up, and then Sarah got up and she took communion. And so, of course, I was like dying to ask her, you know. I said, Sarah, 
You know, I noticed that you took communion today. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because normally you don't take communion. And she said, yes, I have not taken it. But, you know, tonight they said, if you're a follower of Jesus, come forward. And I'm a follower of Jesus, so I went forward. I mean, just how blessed am I that I got to be part of this story, that I get to hear this firsthand. And I hope that this is a blessing to you. You know, my telling you is encouraging your heart. And I, oh, just so grateful that the Lord invited me into friendship with her and an easy friendship. She's someone that I liked spending time with, that when I didn't get to spend time with her, it was really sad. And in fact, I was texting her over the weekend and I said, I am going to be sharing the message at my church, and it's about soul friendship. And I definitely know that you and I are soul friends, and I miss you, and I love you very much. And she wrote back, saying several things, and then the end of her message was, Mitzi, tell your church that you changed my life, and you were a miracle in my life. So that is a message from Sarah directly to you. I want to draw out a, f- out a few concepts from this story about Sarah that I've shared. I don't know if you're aware, but Christians kind of have um, a negative reputation around the world. Um, I think they have also a negative reputation in places in the United States, even in Houston. And this negative reputation really hit home for me when one of the times that Sarah was at my house, she said, Mitzi, whenever I think of Christians, I think of people who are hard and harsh. And yet somehow, you are soft. She could not reconcile the two together. Like, you're in front of me, you are a Christian, and yet you're soft. Christians are supposed to be hard and harsh. That was her experience in the past. And so for me to redeem that for her was so powerful for her story. And in fact, as Jerry and I were leaving Kurdistan and we were just having all these just reminiscing and what have we done here? I was asking God, God, what what are our greatest accomplishments? What did we get to do in your name? And it, it, it could have been the, the foster care system that we helped set up. It could be the Syrian refugee children that we helped. It could have been all the people fleeing ISIS that we helped. You know, we were there serving with a child protection agency. And that was our world, is, is serving these kids. And yet the Lord very, very clearly said, Mitzi, the best thing that you did for me in Kurdistan was to redeem the name Christian. And I saw it so much in my relationship with Sarah. And then I also had this other fantastic relationship with Afifa and Fatima and Mahabad. And we were in a book group together. I love to read and I love discussing books. And they came to me and said, Mitzi, we want to spend time with you. And can we read a book together? Like, yes, of course we can. I'll always make time for that. And there are all these things that we had in common. They all were teachers. I taught here in Houston for seven years. Uh, We all speak English, praise the Lord, that we could do all this in English. And also, and this may be the most important, we were all very, very devout in our faith. I was devout, not was, I am devout in the Christian faith, and they are all devout in the Muslim faith, and yet our devoutness to our faith actually provided a lot of common bond and opportunity for so much incredible conversation. 
And toward the end of our time there, I was spending time with Afifa and Fatima, and we were reminiscing about our friendship. How did our friendship even start? And Afifa said, you know, Mitzi, I never thought we would be friends. And I'm thinking, well, you know, why? And she said, because you are Christian and I am Muslim. And I never thought, never thought that a Christian would want to be my friend. Can you believe that? Isn't that heartbreaking? I never thought a Christian would be my friend. We are the people of God is love, right? And if we were followers of God, then we are love. And yet she thought a Christian would never be her friend. And Fatima even said, you know, my cousins told me that I should never go to your house because you're Christian. And she told them, oh, you know, Mitzi's not like that. And they said, well, you better be careful because they're so clever. And I kind of had this idea of where she was coming from. And so then I said, you know, to them, I said, you know, Jerry and I, we did not come here to convince you or persuade you to become Christians. No, we came here. And then Afifa finished my statement for me. She said, you came here to serve us and to love us. And let me tell you, those were exact words that were in my heart that I was about to say, and she said them. God let me be that soul friend, that anamkara to these women, and they could see that I wanted to love them, that I wanted to serve them. And that's what I'm asking of you all today, is to be the anamkara, the soul friend of someone. Another idea of soul friendship, you know, listening to you, loving you, and guiding you, we all need guides. When we moved to Kurdistan, we definitely needed people there to help us understand Kurdish culture, how to buy the vegetables, how to get internet, how to get a car, the language, how not to tell people that you're sexy, but instead that the food is delicious, you know, all of these things. We needed to find people who knew that our hearts were to learn, that we weren't trying to be offensive. And we found people who were safe. We could ask them any questions that we wanted, and they were just ready to receive them and answer them and help us. And I'm not asking you to be guides to the Kurdish culture, but what I am asking and inviting you into is to be a guide to the Jesus culture, the culture of hope, the culture of rescue, the culture where we worship a God who lavishly loves us no matter what no matter what, lavish love. Not a little bit love when you, when you kind of messed up, but lavish love all of the time. Jesus had something to say about being guides. And we read in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And you, beloved, are the light of the world. A city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden, Similarly, it would be silly to light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. When someone lights a lamp, she puts it on a table or a desk or a chair, and the light illumines the entire house. And here's the kicker. You are like that illuminating light. Let your light shine everywhere you go. 
that you may illumine creation so men and women everywhere may see your good actions, may see creation at its fullest, may see your devotion to me, and may turn and praise your Father in heaven because of it. In our friendships with people, they are going to be interacting with us. They are going to see us physically. But that's not the end. The end is not just to develop a really awesome friendship. The end is to then point to the source of that friendship, the source of where that friendship is possible, and that's in Jesus. I'm hoping that I've encouraged and inspired you to seek out people to be soul friends with, to be the anamkara to someone. And there may be folks here who are thinking, you know, I'm new to all of this. I don't know if I'm really qualified to be someone's soul friend. That sounds like a really big deal. But let me ask you this question. Are you willing to love people? Are you willing to guide them? Are you willing to listen to them? If you can answer yes, then yes, you are qualified. And you know what? It's really helpful when new people desire to be soul friends with someone because they have the best memory of what it's like to be new themselves. They were in a place where they didn't belong. They were in a place where they didn't believe. And they can remember so much more clearly, more clearly than I can, of what it felt to be in that place. And so if you are new, we definitely want you to extend soul friendship to others. There could be folks in the room who are thinking, you know, my life is kind of messy and imperfect. I don't know if you would want me to be the guide to Jesus because things in my life are, are not going very well. Well, let me tell you something. We all have messy lives, and messiness invites belonging. Can you imagine someone thinking, gosh, my life is so messy, but you know, Mitzi has shared some of the messiness of her life. So maybe even if she can be part of this and have a messy life, I can too. And that messiness, that sharing, that vulnerability can often brings people in. You know, think about a time when someone shared something deep and troubling with you. You probably were not repulsed, but you probably just felt honored and privileged to be invited into that story. And so us with our messy lives, we want to do that too. You know, we sometimes talk, not sometimes, I believe Chris every time he preaches says, we're not a perfect church, we are not a perfect people, but still we invite you to come and be with us. I have just literally scratched the surface of what it means to be a soul friend, to be an Anamkara. And if you want more information, there's a whole book on it that John O'Donohue wrote. There's also lots and lots of information on the internet. But I want to come to a close with a few invitations for you. Maybe God is asking you to be a soul friend to someone. Maybe God is asking you to deepen a current friendship that gets to that soul friendship level, maybe it's for you to express gratitude to God for the soul friends that he has brought into your life. And there could be some of you sitting here that you don't have a soul friend and you would really like one. I invite you to pray to God, to ask God to bring that soul friend into your life. The last thing that I want to share is from a beloved author, Madeline Langle, and she has this to say. 
We draw people to Christ, not by loudly discrediting what they believe, not by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Would you pause again and pray with me? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, please share with each one of us in this room right now what part of this message was particularly for them. And I pray, Lord, that we would all have the courage to receive that message. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.